Now, Dave Kaufman hosts The Kaufman Show with Dave Kaufman, but also Jay Farrar. The Kaufman Show, only on TSN 690. It's the Kaufman Show on TSN 690. Dave Kaufman and Jay Farrar, we are here, and we are happy to be here. Hello, sir. I love starting a second show. I know. We get to say hi twice. Go yes. through all the formalities. Yes. It works on the podcast, though. It does. <laughs> it does. It just floats. It just flows. So what's up? What's new? What's going on in the, since the three minutes ago when we spoke last on air? Uh, I don't know. No, nothing's really changed, right? No, we just took a walk outside and came right back into the, let John do his update, and then we came right back in. We saw uh, CNN is really up their game. They have. They uh, We walked outside into the newsroom, and uh, the headline on CNN on Piers Morgan Live was, what would Brian Boitano do? Right. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. I, I'm not complaining. What would he do? Why don't they ask him? Well, I think I'm they, sure they he's were not ask- a hard interview <laughs> They to, were to asking get. him. He's the... Um, I don't know what the term is, and we call it the chef de mission for Canada. I don't know if that's an, an across-the-board Olympics term, but he's the head of the U.S. He's delegate. the mission chief. He's the mission chief. <laughs> yeah. USA mission chief. Right. <laughs> U.S. Uh, the, I don't know if you saw this, Jay. The U.S. Olympians were told not to wear their uniforms outside of where they're competing. That any time that they're in the village, anywhere in Sochi, they're not to be wearing any USA apparel. For fear of being a target. Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah. They, uh, they're they really talking about these games like... Uh, they really are. Threat I mean, level imminent. No, it, it really is. And apparently there are some U.S. battleships that are off the coast at this point. Yep. And there are, uh, there are a, a lot of the athletes are not bringing their families. And uh, this, is, this is a very serious uh, situation we've got going on over there. The attendance, uh, they say that 300,000 tickets have yet to be sold. Have yet to be sold? Yeah, 300,000 tickets. 
Wow. Yeah. This uh, and we're we're ten days away. Right. Sochi Olympics start in ten days. See, I, I dug the old Olympics hat out of the. Uh... <laughs> you did. Yeah. The Omega Olympic hat, yep, apparently. That's right. Yeah. Got that in the Getting into Whistler. the spirit, are we? I'm, uh, look, I love the Olympics. I really do. And that's one of the big concerns about this one is, um, you know, especially vis-a-vis the last one, which was so much fun. By the way. Yes. This is kind of a European knapsack thing. Are yes. they telling the Canadian athletes to wear their Canada jackets <laughs> just to differentiate themselves from the Americans. I don't know how that works. Imagine okay. if, the, if they told the Americans Guys, to as, wear yeah, as much maple leaf on you as possible. <laughs> we don't want you getting mixed up with the other guys. Oh, dear Lord. I hope we're going to be able to laugh about this in three weeks. Jay. Let's hope so. I really we hope. definitely don't want some sort of Munich on our hands. No. Here. And that's why there are um, the U.S. warships right off the coast. Yeah. It's to be able to react quickly in case there's some sort of a Munich type situation where right. when I Munich don't know happened, what a warship is going to do but well I mean, on it allows you to get in and out quickly. You can fly a plane off the warship and be in Sochi. Yeah. But there's this whole cold war side to this too with um you know the Rus- the Ruskies and the Americans. <laughs> the Ruskies, yeah. The, those pesky Russians and the yeah. Americans and Supposedly, the they don't. Pinkos. They don't want to share um, U.S. intelligence. The U.S. has offered their help to oh, share intelligence, yeah. and the Russians. I mean, that's just a whole issue of sovereignty, and they don't want that. It's uh, it's going to be a mess, and uh, boy, I hope we do well. Boy, I hope the Russians don't, and I hope we see uh, rainbow flags the whole damn time. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the most. I mean, I have never heard. I have never seen or heard so much controversy in anticipation of an olympic games no as i know and and think man we we the beijing olympics right i know <laughs> i know athens for god's sake. no i don't know you know what that means well no but, athens uh, was a was a financial mess it was it was a financial it was an mess. absolute financial mess and yeah. we heard about that but beijing i mean there were all the human rights issues yeah, and freedom of speech issues, and maybe yeah. that was it. They were able to suppress all of it. It's sort of like the uh, the protest zones in Sochi, right? Are seven and a half miles outside of the Olympic venue. It's kind of like the uh, the protest zone in Arrested Development for the war, where they they drive um, oh, what's her name, Portia de Rossi, all the way out to the middle of nowhere, put her in a cage, and they said this is the protest zone. Yeah, I mean, and 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 it's but with China and with Athens and with Montreal and with Munich, it was a singular social issue or a singular attack. Whereas this, this thing seems to be plagued with at least three different problems. Uh, the inability or what seems to be the slow pace at which the preparations are happening, the, the, uh, the, the social issue with the gay rights, and, uh, and, and now the, the imminent danger from Chechnya. <laughs> or, I mean, it's, it's a, I mean, those are three serious situations we have going on here. One of them being life-threatening. Let's hope uh, they're up to the task. Let's hope so. Let's uh, let's shift gears. Our next guest, uh, I believe this is his third or fourth appearance on The Kaufman Show. His name is Jeff Pullman. You can follow him. His uh, Twitter name, one of those people whose Twitter names constantly change. And yeah. I think it's whatever he's promoting or whatever, he, whatever he's working on. Right now, it's J.P. Ballnut. Ballnut's book launch is going to be on Saturday, <laughs> Saturday, February the 1st. Yes, Jay? No, nothing. <laughs> Something funny about the name Ballnuts? No, I just, at one point, that was going to be my Twitter handle, and I <laughs> changed it. Jeff yeah. Pullman, welcome to the show. How are you guys doing? We're well, man. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, one thing I'm not going to do at all is bring up the uh, the weather out here, because I, I tried it on Facebook about Two weeks ago, and I lost a bunch of friends. Yeah, uh, yeah, that doesn't. It doesn't. I'm not going to bring it up. It doesn't but, make. But friends. you just did, Jeff. I know, I know, but yeah. I, I retract that already. Unfollow <laughs> Ballnut. It That's was what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Jeff, uh, Jeff is of course our um, our uh, chief of uh, chef de mission for uh, <laughs> for Stratomatic baseball, right? And uh, th- that means you're the you're the number one guy to go to for Stratomatic baseball. And I will very quickly uh, mention that Jeff had me participate in a 1994 playoffs tournament through Stratomatic where uh, I was the manager of the Expos and uh, I'm going to say that my platooning of Lenny Webster was what (laughs) won it for us clearly clearly (laughs) so explain Ballnuts to us your new book well Ballnuts is actually a a, uh, an adaptation of play that funky baseball which was my second 
kind of historical replay Stratomatic blog uh, about the 1977 season. And uh, the book is, is kind of a whittled-down version of that, but still uh, still is, is entertaining. And it's about six baseball-crazy uh, inmates of a state hospital in a town, fictitious town called Squall Pocket, Maine, and they each root for different baseball teams. And by a quirk of fate, they go through a time warp back to 1977 and actually relive the season, traveling around the country by various means. And... Um, there's a lot of adventures, and then in the midst of all this, the actual replay that I did with the best uh, 16 teams of 1977 is going on. And uh, well, you got to uh, read the book to find out who wins. But uh, <laughs> that, that's that's basically the the, the gist of it. Outside of, of um, 1977, is, it was a great year. A lot of a lot of drama. Well, that's what I wanted to ask. The only thing that comes to mind right away, and and you know, being born in 1980, uh, I not supposed to remember much from 1977, but that was the year of Reggie Jackson's three home runs in the World Series, right? Right. Yeah, and you can't get more dramatic than that. Right. Uh, and I'm, obviously, I'm not not a huge Yankee fan growing up in New England, and uh, but that was the year that I had a, an apartment that was about a 20-minute walk to Fenway Park in Boston, and so I got myself a season ticket for about 16 games or something like that, kind of like the smallest plan they had. And I remember specifically the, uh, a series in the middle of June in which the Red Sox swept the Yankees and out-homered them 16 to nothing. And I was at the game when Reggie Jackson got in a fight with Billy. Oh, wow. The whole thing from uh, like a standing room spot on the first baseline. <laughs> classic. That was, it was classic. I mean, it was just, of course, the Yankees went on to win the division and the playoffs and the World Series. But... Uh, there was just so just a lot of excitement going on. There was a lot of hitting that year, and so it was really fun to kind of replay the season in Stratomatic. And as you might have remembered, I had a whole bunch of different writers and bloggers from around uh, doing the absentee managing thing, like you did right. in 1994. And um, Jonah Carey uh, took the Expos, and they weren't the it wasn't the best Expos team, but uh, it, it was it was a valiant effort. And, so you're uh, saying the only reason I did better than him is because I had a better team in front of me? Is that what you're saying, I, Pullman? I, I, would, I would say it probably so, yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> if he had taken, Don't if beat it, around the bush there, <laughs> Ballnut. If he had taken the 79 or the, uh, the 80, 80 club, it, he probably would have made some hay. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. But, um, but anyway, that's, that's what's going on with that. And then I have one other project I'm doing. I'm taking, they're also releasing 1973 this year, which is kind of an interesting year that was the year the national league east was all bunched up at the end with a lot of teams that were either at 500 or just underneath it including the expos and right including the expos the yeah expos, uh i just looked this up before i came on they were september 20th they were one game out behind pittsburgh that's unbelievable 75 and 77 two games under 500 unreal wow. yeah unreal and they only finished about three and a half out or something like that they had a their big hitter was Ken Singleton with 103 RBIs, and uh, that was Steve Rogers' rookie year. He went 10 and 5, 1.54 ERA. Yeah, I don't Very think impressive. people realize just how good he was. He uh, oh yeah. T- talk about being uh, judged on one pitch. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so I think this is really neat that you're doing a virtual book launch. Yeah, a virtual book launch. It's actually going to be this Saturday. Um, on a, uh, I've got a, a website uh, where I put all my kind of Strad Replay stuff, and that's where it's going to be. It's Replay Bucket, replaybucket.wordpress.com, and it's going to start around uh, 3 o'clock your time, 12 o'clock Pacific, 12 noon. And I'll just have a bunch of, I'll have a bunch of videos. I'll have, I'm going to have a 1977 trivia contest to win uh, three. Uh, three signed copies of the book I'm going to give away. Cool. And, and um, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. I hope you can stop by. Awesome. If I have a light uh, afternoon at work, I will uh, definitely uh, peek in off the uh, off the old laptop, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Uh, yeah, looking forward to that. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to ask you, Jeff, before we let you go, we were DMing the other day, and you told me that you were at a Christy Mathewson play. Yes. Can you tell me about in, that? Yes. I was. It, it was out here in Valencia, um, it's called Maddie, and it's done by a guy named Eddie Frierson, who has been doing this one-man play. 
portraying Christy Mathewson. Uh, he's been doing it for about 30 years, apparently. Started doing it, I guess, mostly in the New York area. He does it in uh, a town in Pennsylvania where Christy Mathewson was born. Does it there once every summer. Um, so it's kind of like his thing. And uh, I went out to see it because I wanted to try to write a little piece about him. And uh, just curious more, not so much about the play, because it's been done so many times, it's not a review. But uh, it's going to be more about him and, like, what, what possesses him to keep doing this and what is he, you know, from being Christy Mathewson, what, what does that mean to him and, and all that. And it, but it's a great play. It's really good, and, he, and he's got some amazing uh, props, and he wears his uniform, and he hmm. kind of he reenacts uh, some stuff, famous stuff from New York Giants history and does voices for John McGraw and other people. And... Um, that sounds it's awesome. It's a really good show, and it's really, really good for kids, I think, to see who are, may not be that schooled on, you know, some of the great old players, to see one kind of embodied, is, who is not, you know, someone that everybody knows about, like Babe Ruth, is, is really a really good thing. No, but one of the great characters in baseball history and someone whose uh, career was cut short because of... Uh, well, the First World War, he was, was it mustard gassed? Yeah, he, yeah, he, he was, was poisoned. poisoned by mustard gas. Yeah. And it, in an accident. It was a drill. In an accident, right. Yeah. It was not in combat. Oh, wow. I think. And uh, he mentions this in the play, and it really kind of affected him and ruined his health, and he ended up contracting uh, tuberculosis. And, um, and dying quite young, no? Died pretty young, yeah. I think he was in his 30s or 40s, or pretty, pretty young. It was, it was a very sad thing. Um, it was funny because his nickname, I guess, apparently everybody called him the Christian Gentleman, hmm. and this was a held in a this play I saw was held in a church in Valencia, so it kind of worked. <laughs> and there were a lot of kids in little league uniforms because it was a benefit for the little league. And at the end of the play, he called them all up to the stage and sat them down in front of him, and <laughs> just kind of started telling them these, you know, these wonderful moral messages about life and how to persevere, and you know. Always look ahead, and it was it was just good. Well, uh, us Jews called him Big Six. No, Big Six. Yeah, that was his other nickname. <laughs> quite clear where. Uh, I kind of like that more than the Christian gentleman. But anyway, that's just my, that's my my bias. Um, <laughs> Jeff, uh, I want to thank you so much for your time. We got to fly, but um, best of luck with the book, and I will uh, definitely check in on the uh, on the virtual. Uh, room on Monday, and please uh, send us a tweet a little closer to the date, and uh, we'll retweet sure. it out to our audience. We'll do that. Follow him on Twitter at JP Ballnut. Jeff Pullman, thanks so much for your time. Okay, thanks a lot, guys. Have a good night. Bye-bye. There he goes. That's Jeff Pullman. This is The Kaufman Show, and we'll be right back. Listening to the Kaufman Show with Dave Kaufman and Jay Farrar, only on TSN 690. Welcome back. It's the Kaufman Show on TSN 690. Dave Kaufman, Jay Farrar, special Bell Let's Talk edition. Let's raise some money for uh, mental health awareness. Add the hashtag Bell Let's Talk for the next 24 hours. If you're on the Bell cellular network, every text you send 
brings another five cents from Bell for mental health awareness and programs. It's easy. Now, what if you retweet it? I think that counts. That counts. As I well. believe that so counts. So it's just an appearance by hashtag Bell. Let's talk. Pretty cool. Cool. And it doesn't matter if your, you know, your internet plan is with somebody else. It doesn't matter. It's the um, uh, just hashtag it. Mm-hmm. I, I understand some people complain. Actually, I don't understand some people complaining. I don't see why it doesn't. Ma- you know, I understand that people say, "Oh, well, could we just let's talk?" No, it's Bell. Let's talk. Bell's paying for it. Right. Right, and and they earn the right to show the world that that's what they're doing. And I mean, okay, can I just can I just throw this out there very quickly? My my favorite oh. the fate my favorite person on Twitter, and it's close. It's it's almost Ball a two way tie. It, it Jeff's up there, but not quite. <laughs> okay. Um, one A is Dave McGimsey. Yes. Who is a wonderfully brilliant mind. Yes. And uh, I encourage you all to follow him. The other. Number one, flat out number one, is uh, Dan K M T L, And if you're not following him, you should be, because... I am following The him. guy's got Twitter figured out, and his most recent tweet, I think, exemplifies it. Hey, if you use hashtag Bell Let's Talk today, a phone company in Canada donates five cents to mental health awareness, no matter what you say. That's right. Retweeted. Let's go to our resident... Comic. He joins us every Monday from beautiful Vancouver, clouded in uh, fog today. My goodness, the visuals were gorgeous. Let's welcome Torben Rolfson. Hello, sir. Dave, Jay, how's it going? We're good, man. How are you? Doing good. I saw the uh, hashtag, actually, before I heard about that great cause. I thought there was a George Bell chat going on. (laughs) (laughs) Right off the bat. (laughs) I didn't know what it was about, but it sounds good. It's uh, not the first, I believe it's the second or third year they've done it. And um, there are campaigns across the country. Clara Hughes is one of the spokespeople for it. And, I mean, she's my she's my favorite athlete of all time. So, um, you know, if Clara Hughes endorses it, it's a righteous and worthy product. Yeah. So what's going on in the world of sports, Torben? Well, I heard a bit of the show earlier because uh, I always like to try to tune in. The Olympics are looming. Uh, 14 degrees and rain in Sochi today. Perfect conditions for the Jamaican kayak team. <laughs> Sounds like Vancouver weather, Torben. Yeah. I like how the Russian ambassador to the U.S. said Sochi is as safe as the rest of Russia, <laughs> meaning you can film science fiction disaster movies from your car's dashboard cam. <laughs> the U.S. is offering Russia security support for the games. Paul Blart. No. The mall cop. That's right. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Ron Burgundy canceled his Olympic guest announcing trip after he found out the games are not in Scotchy. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw some clothes for the games. I wasn't sure if I was looking at Team USA's opening ceremony outfits or a preview of 2014's ugly Christmas sweaters. <laughs> Those are bad. Uh, the next, Carmelo Anthony, he scored 62 points in a romp over the Charlotte Bobcats. Charlotte was so embarrassed they're going to change their last name. <laughs> And Warren Moon, you probably saw that. He lost $200,000 in a scam involving Miami Heat tickets. Now he knows how Knicks and Lakers celebrity fans feel. (laughs) (laughs) And Quicken Loans, they're offering a $1 billion prize for a perfect 2014 NCAA tourney bracket. In other news, the White House has announced it's closing down until April. (laughs) Guaranteed by uh, Warren Buffett, by the way. That's right. Not Jimmy Jimmy Buffett. Buffett Jimmy Buffett will chip in as well. (laughs) I watched the Australian Open. Uh, it would have been better if one of the ball boys had been a live talk. <laughs> it was pretty, pretty hot out, eh? <laughs> it's pretty humbling. When you're watching Nadal struggle there, like through that final, realizing even injured, he could still beat me using a teaspoon instead of a racket. <laughs> like 100%. And what a show by Eugene Bouchard. Uh, one thing is clear, she needs less tennis coaching and more date coaching. Yeah. Justin Bieber pulled over and arrested in Miami after a police officer saw him racing a Lamborghini against a Ferrari at speeds of, quote, 55 to 60 miles per hour in a 30 zone. (laughs) Does this strike anyone as the worst car race ever? (laughs) It's like the Seahawks and Broncos starting, you know, Tarveris Jackson and, you know, Brock Osweiler in the Super Bowl. Speaking of the police, uh, if it's really cold at the Super Bowl, uh, Bruno Mars, he might feel like he's walking on the moon. (laughs) That's a police song. Yes, I know. (laughs) 
sounds like a few other songs that we know. True. Does anyone know why the uh, Anaheim Ducks throwback jerseys were honoring the BC Lions? You, you know, that's a good point. I figured because you could see them from the space station. Yeah. I thought the Sea Lions were going to start playing beach volleyball against the Kiss Army. <laughs> Jonas Hiller gets the first shutout of the year in Dodger Stadium. Your move, Clayton Kershaw. <laughs> and finally, Greg Maddox. He will enter the Hall of Fame with no logo on his cap. I didn't realize he was part of the alter globalization movement. <laughs> Honestly, Torben, I saw that, and it makes no sense to me. That... Very strange, the, the politics and shenanigans behind that kind of stuff. I don't understand. And it's like, it, it is plain as day that Greg Maddox is an Atlanta Brave. The thought that he, in, in his mind, thinks that he has as, as distinguished yeah, a career but I thought with he didn't the have, Cubs. I thought he didn't have the choice, though. Supposedly there's a choice now. Oh, now? Uh, yeah, but I don't know if the choice is... Like, if Gary Carter had had the choice to choose nothing, I think he would have chosen it. Yeah. Yeah, why not? I mean, I, I, I don't understand that. I, I, I just don't get it. Anyway, Torben, anything going on this week that our, uh, our Vancouver listeners should know about? I'm doing a show at Kino uh, tomorrow night and then next week at the Comedy Mix. Awesome. There you go. Uh, Torben, uh, you'll join us next Monday night, I hope. For sure. Awesome. Have a good one. Great. Have a great night, Montreal. Thanks, guys. Follow him on Twitter at VanGuy. That's Torben Rolfson. We're going to uh, go out cold here, Jimmy, because I haven't given you a song. It is 1230. <laughs> you know, when you talk in my ear, I just feel like I naturally have to answer you. It's very difficult. You go, what are you going to go out on? Nobody else can hear it. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to I don't know how to maneuver around that one. We could either talk about it for a while or why don't we let John bring us a sports update? Let's do that. Let's do that. We'll come back. We've got our interviews that we're going to air with Christina Carl and Patrick Burke. It is a special Bell Let's Talk version of the Kaufman show on TSN 690. Now, Dave Kaufman hosts The Kaufman Show with Dave Kaufman, but also Jay Farrar, The Kaufman Show, only on TSN 690. Welcome back to the Kaufman Show on TSN 690. We're going to bring you an interview now that I did with uh, my other co-host, Mike Spry, on the Kaufman and Spry on CJD last Friday night. It's with Christina Carl, who is one of the founders of Baseball Prospectus. She's a writer with ESPN, and she had written a response piece to Caleb Hannon's um, ESP, uh, sorry, Grantland.com story called Dr. V and the Magical Putter. This is the conversation uh, with Christina with a bit of a setup uh, with Spry and myself. You know, Mike and I talked about it this week. We uh, we talked about how we were going to address this article. This is not this is not our comfort zone. No, well, and it obviously isn't Grantland's comfort zone. No, very much not. And and this is part of what the discussion that's followed. Right. And. The subject of this article, the subject of the article, the article was called Dr. V's Magical Putter. And it was the idea that this inventor had created a golf club after working for the Pentagon on stealth bomber technology. (laughs) Turns out that none of it was true, but it led the author to a discovery that, um, that the writer used to be a man and was and is a woman or was a woman. The subject of the story has since committed suicide. Right. Before the story went to print. Right. The story still went to print. And only several days after it went to print did people realize just just how much Grantland had screwed up. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's amazing. It, it, it was published on the 15th. And uh, 
and it uh, it got some celebration in the first uh, in the first you know uh, few days. And come fr- last Friday is when it the, it hit the fan. It hit the fan. Absolutely, it did. It did. And uh, we're really lucky to be joined by our next guest, who is someone that I'll tell you. I wish I was just having on to talk about baseball on the Kaufman Show on TSN Radio. This is. Uh, a baseball writer who I'm a huge fan of, and uh, hopefully one day we will be able to just talk about baseball. But uh, there are bigger fish to, fish to fry tonight on CJD, so we welcome Christina Carl to the conversation. Hi, Christina. Howdy, gentlemen. How are you? I'm I'm well. I'm freezing in Chicago, and I guess you guys are all too familiar with that. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 not baseball weather. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, I want to thank you so much for uh, for offering to join the conversation this week. It's um, uh, before you got on, Mike and I were saying this is not our comfort zone, and it was very obviously not Grantlands either. No, definitely not. And and but this also, you know, this story is symptomatic of a broader you know phenomenon, which I think we're seeing in mainstream media and in popular culture, which is that more and more trans people are becoming public figures and you know willingly or less so and so this is you know one of the perils involved with a trans person being outed or that you know when a trans person comes into a news story is how does how does a news organization handle that how do they how do they treat this person with the respect and dignity they deserve they deserve or not, as really played out in the Grantland story. Well, and that was it. There was no choice made in the matter. Uh, Doctor V had very specifically said to the uh, to the author, Caleb Hannon, discuss the science and not the scientist. D- in your opinion, did Doctor V have that right to say that? Well, I think the interesting problem there is that you know, like if you know, as Caleb was doing his research, I mean, I think he came up against like you know, a bit of a problem in the sense that if by agreeing to that, you know, like, and Dr. V had stuck with that on herself in terms of fulfilling all of the credentials that she claimed to have, then, you know, like, maybe this would have been just a golf story, and that would have been the end of it. But the problem was that her claims for her credentials did not check out. And so being a reporter, he just dug in deeper and deeper to find out, like, why can't I find records of this person, you know, more than 12 years ago? Why can't I find any person by this name with, you know, any of these credentials? And did she even really a Vanderbilt? I mean, all of these questions crop up because nothing that she had said had checked out and kind of distracting from the question of, like, you know, what originally motivated the story in the first place. So it was kind of a down-the-rabbit-hole experience for the reporter, but then when he essentially comes up with the information that she was trans, then, you know, that's where things really go off the rails. Christina, you wrote uh, a piece for Grantland called What Grantland Got Wrong. Could you, uh, for our listeners, highlight a a few of those serious errors that you alluded to in that article? I think the first major one was that Caleb, you know, like in making his discovery, um, you know, however, however we could characterize the relationship with between Caleb and um, uh, SAN, like, you know, he should never have outed her to one of her investors. And so that's something that no level of management, no level of judgment could really have prepared, like, you know, have intervened with. I mean, he outed her to another source. And so that, that just really is unconscionable. Then on the editorial level, nobody, you know, that reviewed the article thought, well, Maybe we should treat this the same way we would treat outing a person who is gay or a person who's a lesbian. You know, I don't think that's really up for debate in the sense that nobody would out a person in either of those circumstances, but why did they feel empowered to out a trans person in this circumstance? And again, it's one of those misfortunes. I mean, whether you want to talk about like, you know, they definitely kind of othered and and made her seem strange or the whole notion of being trans is strange. And so, like, you know, they kind of heightened that in the story and some editorial sensitivity on that score really could have helped. But the other, they misgendered her in terms of pronoun usage. And that, you know, again, is something where you make that kind of mistake, then you should learn from the example of organizations like the like GLAD or like Pointer Institute's um, guidelines for how to do a better job in covering trans people, any of these things. But more fundamentally, I mean, I think they just made the mistake of treating her gender identity in the same category as her credentials. They thought that, well, if she had lied about these things, we can also bundle the whole notion of her gender identity in with the rest of this stuff, which, you know, and then it's no longer really a golf story. And then, of course, 
wrestling with the decision about whether or not to publish it and then her subsequent suicide, you know, and then publishing it as it stood. I mean, they really, you know, at so many different points, they could have interacted, made a decision, reached out to a trans person, and, and the particularly bitter, you know, because, again, I'm, I'm one of Bill Simmons' teammates in the sense that I work for ESPN. Right. He runs Grantland. We've met each other in the past. I mean, we've both been at the MIT, like, Sloan Conference, like, giving presentations on sports and statistics. And so he was there for basketball. I was there at baseball. And this is years ago. I mean, we know each other on that level professionally and know that we work for the same big – and talking to him about this last weekend, I mean, we're both kicking ourselves because – we're like, well, you were one phone call away. And whether you want to say that phone call was in last August or whether that was in September or October or November, you know, at, if at any point, you know, they had just thought, oh, I have a trans colleague. I can ask her, what should I do in this situation? Or what should I, you know, what are the issues at play? What should we be thinking about here? How should we handle this story? And, you know, that's that's the part where, I'm bitter because, you know, like I would have loved to have helped them in that circumstance. And I know that everybody in my chain of command at ESPN, they know that I'm more than happy to talk that to this stuff in the background and talk, introduce like, you know, what you do and don't do to trans people when you're writing about them. Or if you find this kind of information, what kind of, you know, how do you treat this person with the dignity and respect that they deserve and that everybody else would take for granted. So, you know, it really is from my perspective, you know, my objective is somebody who works at ESPN. I just want to help my coworkers, and to have this instead go so very wrong, you know, I think frustrates all of us equally. Christina, do you mind if we uh, take a quick break just to get to traffic and come right back and finish up our conversation? Oh, absolutely. Wonderful. We're in conversation with Christina Carl from ESPN on Kaufman and Spry on CJD. Welcome back. Kaufman and Spry on CJD. Dave Kaufman and Mike Spry. We're finishing up with Christina Carl. And uh, before we took the break there, Christina was talking about how her and uh, the head of Grantland.com, Bill Simmons, were kind of kicking each other. Christina, do you feel like if it was a different site, uh, maybe it was someone you didn't know, you'd feel differently than just kicking each other, that that maybe the offense would be deeper? No, because again, this is something that um, as a trans person myself and as a journalist and seeing how trans people have been treated, I mean, like repeatedly, as I said at the beginning, we're seeing trans people becoming more and more prominent as public figures. And we're also seeing how the journal, the practice of journalism is letting them down pretty consistently. I mean, you know, this isn't the first outing of the last several months. I mean, you know, Jen Pritzker, like one of the wealthiest people on the planet, came out as trans, but she didn't came, but that was after she was outed by cranes here in Chicago. Uh, you look at like what happened with Katie Couric when she had Laverne Cox and um, Carmen Her uh, Carmen on for as guests for, you know, and she asked like some inappropriate questions, and again she got kind of schooled, and that was just one of those situations where journalists, no matter how long they've been in the game, have a lot to learn about what to talk to trans people about and how to talk to them and how to treat them with again the kind of dignity and respect anybody else might take for granted. I wondered, uh, Christina, about. Um, how this this uh, story actually got posted. Uh, Bill Simmons wrote a letter of apology uh, on Monday, I believe, and he outlined the series of editors it did go through. And as a writer and editor myself, there's there's markers in this story that just ask you to hold off. And were you surprised that it went up in the condition that it finally did go up in? Uh, I, again, I would say that, you know, like I was disappointed just because of the story and right. for the outing i mean is is the particular like you know and some of the the details you know in there uh, you know but again i mean i understand the trap they found themselves in in terms of like you know they kept getting sucked in by new and what they would see as as tantalizing bits of information of what they thought might have been just an initially a golf story but nevertheless especially like with the knowledge that she had committed suicide how they talked about the suicide. Um, you know, you don't report details in that situation, and that's just another element where, you know, this is this is where, you know, like it really just, because the story had become about something so much more than sports, it really needed, you know, the perspective of somebody who wasn't just looking at it from a sports perspective. And I think that that's the one thing that, that needs to be concentrated on in this, Christina, is that it is such a sensitive issue and the suicide rate for trans uh, individuals is so high. Well, 41% attempted at some point during their lives, which is, again, just 
shocking, but you know, as, if you're trans, you know, you've probably lost somebody like to suicide. I know I have, and and this is one of those things that, you know, unless you're inside that community, you may not be aware of it. And so this is, you know, a tragic teaching circumstance that to bring awareness to this particularly like you know, epic you know epidemic. It's an ep- frankly, it's an epidemic striking the trans community, but you know. Hopefully people will learn something from this. Christina Carl is one of the founders of Baseball Prospectus and a writer at ESPN. Uh, you can follow her on Twitter at Christina Carl, K-A-H-R-L. I really hope we can talk baseball in the spring on my other show. I would love to do that. Good, you know I love too. baseball. Thank you so much for your time tonight. Thank you. Really appreciate it. There she goes. And uh, definitely a worthy follow on Twitter. Certainly. That was um, the context that we needed in order to be able to discuss that. Welcome back to The Kaufman Show on TSN 690. Our thanks to CJD for allowing us to replay that uh, interview, Mike Spry and myself with ESPN's Christina Carl. Let's now go back to October when Jay Ferrara and I spoke with Patrick Burke about his battle with depression. For power here. Patrick Burke uh, is one of the uh, founders of You Can Play, works for the NHL right now, and that's not what we are here to talk to him about. We'll save that for another day and another time. Uh, Patrick is on Twitter. You can follow him at BerkeyYCP. And he spoke with Adam Proto from the Hockey News this weekend about um, a side of Patrick that I I guess only his close friends and family were aware of. Uh, Patrick, welcome back to the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. How are you? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm uh, I'm pretty good, man. I'm pretty good. Thanks. I uh, was blown away when I uh, and had to send you that DM right away when I read your article, the article about you this weekend, which uh, features interviews with you and your mom about uh, your battle with depression. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, I appreciated your message and uh, the messages we got from uh, lots of different people around uh, the sports world and Twitter and everything like that, uh, expressing some happiness that uh, people were talking about this issue. Yeah, and you know what, it's something that um, people speak of more and more lately. Uh, I know that uh, our parent company, Bell, has dedicated a day to it on air this year, Uh, heard from all sorts of athletes and musicians and people like that. And I think the most important thing for people to realize is that they are so far from being alone when they're fighting this. Well, and that's one of the nice things. Whenever an article like this one or people speak out on this or, you know, the the Bell Let's Talk Day occurs, uh, anytime anybody shares a story about it, it helps other people realize that uh, this is an incredibly common thing. Um, The reaction from everyone that I've spoken to so far has been, first of all, oh, I had no idea. And then the second thing is they share their story, whether it's their own or their family member or their close friend or whatever it is. So uh, mental illness is something that touches everybody. And uh, I think it's it's a little frustrating that it's still considered to be um, off limits as a conversation piece. Well, there's such a stigma around it, Patrick. And I mean, obviously less so now than, than years ago. But um, much in the way that I think you did a lot through You Can Play for Gay Rights um, in sports, I think that this is another example that shows that that um, being a manly man and, and machismo isn't necessarily defined the way that everybody thinks it is. Well, I, I've never figured it out. I, I don't understand. You know, if one of your friends is limping around with a broken foot, uh, you don't go, wow, look at him. He, he's so tough. Well, he, this is amazing. You go, look, what an idiot. Go fix your foot. Yeah. And yet when it comes to a brain injury, which is, a, you know, a medical condition um, related to mental illness, um, there's this sense of the, that you're somehow supposed to do it yourself or suck it up or power through. And uh, it, it makes no sense to me. This is a, a medical condition. It's potentially life-threatening, but it's treatable. And the idea that you're supposed to just suck it up or power through, um, to me, is, is just offensive. What compelled you to come forward? Um, I think, you know, it was Mental Health Week this week, and uh, a lot of different people were kind of talking about it a little bit. Um, I've acknowledged it many times kind of in passing, you know, tweeting about it or, or mentioning my history with it. But um, I felt that, you know, I'm in a pretty good place. I, I've got a great family that, that loves me. I've got a great job where, um, you know, I, I talked with the NHL about releasing the article and they were fully supportive. Um, I'm in a good place. And I wasn't eight years ago. And uh, if it does help somebody to, to read that uh, that there's a hope, that there's light at the end of the tunnel, um if my story had that effect on anybody, then uh, it was worth sharing. It was uh, 05, right? It was, yep. Now, uh, the article talks about you sitting on uh, on your couch uh, at your family home in Boston with your late brother. And uh, it talks about how you guys weren't allowed to watch South Park, but you seemed to get papal dispensation that day, which is a whole other story. Um, 
after uh, your brother passed away, did it resurface? Did it get? Did the depression get worse? Um, no, because uh, at that point I knew how to take uh, steps to combat it. Um, obviously, I was and still am uh, saddened and emotionally crushed by it. But you know, there's a difference between sadness and, and loss and, and depression. Right. Um, sadness is an emotion, um, and as much as I I hate feeling it, uh, there was a time when I was depressed where I would have killed to feel anything. So. Um, depression is more of a loss of feeling, and uh, I certainly uh, haven't haven't had that since uh, since Brennan's accident. Do you see the parallel between this and and what's been done for gay rights with You Can Play? I think so, and I think um, I, first of all, I think I underestimated what this article was gonna the the response it was gonna get. I thought it was a small little thing, but um, I think what we're seeing is the, the power of just sharing stories. You know, my story is not particularly interesting or incredible or anything like that. It's a fairly common story of someone who uh, dealt with mental illness and, and survived it and continues to live with it. Um, but the simple act of talking about it uh, lets other people open up about their story uh, or to maybe see themselves in it and, and hopefully take some steps to, to combat it. How important is um, psychology or psychiatry? It's hugely important, I, I think. I mean, you know, like I I keep drawing parallels to, to medical illness, you know, there are doctors who specialize in your brain. And whether it's a psychiatrist and looking at medical options with uh, medication, you know, I was on uh, Paxil for, for a while to help with my anti, you know, as an antidepressant, or whether it's a therapist, a counselor, a psychologist, just someone to talk to. I mean, I know for me, um, someone who doesn't, as weird as it sounds doing this interview, like to talk about himself to, to people around him. Um, I needed someone that, that was paid and had to sit there and listen to me talk. <laughs> there's, again, you know, it's there's such a stigma around that, around um, uh, drugs like Paxil. There are, how do you combat that? How do you, um, in, 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 and again, I go back to the culture that you, uh, you've immersed yourself in, which is a, a locker room culture. Well, I'm lucky in that uh, I'm in a position where I refuse to allow people to stigmatize me for this. Um, I, I took a, a medically prescribed drug that helped me stabilize my life and get to where I am today. Um, I think it's it's tragic that there are people out there who do feel this stigma and and, uh, and, and horrible that there are people out there who would stigmatize someone else for getting medical treatment. Um, you know, if no one ever gives someone a hard time for, for taking chemotherapy to, to combat cancer. Why would, when depression can be life-threatening, obviously it's not the same as cancer. I'm not saying that. That's a different level. But when it can be life-threatening and there's treatment that can help, why should anyone feel embarrassed for taking that treatment? Finishing up with Patrick Burke on TSN 690 Montreal. Follow Patrick on Twitter at Berkey. YCP. Patrick, you're one of the directors for player safety at the NHL right now. Does this fall under the banner if a player um, suffers some sort of mental illness? Can they go through the league and get the help that they need? Uh, they can. It's not specifically under uh, player safety, but there is a, a joint setup between the NHL and the NHLPA uh, where players have the ability to reach out confidentially to, uh, to get help for issues such as this. Um, it is something that I hope more and more players take advantage of um, because I, I do think that uh, with all the stresses that the professional athlete has in his or her life, um, I do think that it's nice to know that there's someone out there who can, can listen to you talk, who can help understand your problems, and if necessary, uh, help provide treatment for them. Finally, I guess you're in this job a couple of months, and uh, you're no longer the head of uh, You Can Play anymore. I want to get your thoughts on uh, Wade Davis. Uh, Wade's been great. He was an absolute home run hire for us. Um, he's already helping to expand our partnerships with other sports, and uh, I think it's always been important from day one that uh, the biggest thing we always wanted to do was, was share LGBT voices and, and help amplify uh, the, the stories of gay athletes. And now having a full-time executive director who uh, is a former NFL player who is himself gay, uh, Wade's been an absolute home run so far. Patrick, uh, thanks so much for your time tonight. And uh, again, uh, just kudos for writing or for getting that piece out there and uh, talking about something that's important that more people uh, suffer from than we know and the more people need to talk about. Oh, I appreciate you having me on to talk more. Speak soon. Thanks a lot. Once again, that was an interview that uh, Jay and I Take had with Patrick Burke. You can turn that down, Jimmy. Uh, that we had with Patrick Burke. 
uh, back in October, and the interview before that that we played was with Christina Carl from ESPN that Mike Spry and I did on CJAD. Uh, once again, it is Bell Let's Talk Day. So send out those tweets with the Bell Let's Talk hashtag, and if you are on a, a Bell cellular plan, every text you send today sends a nickel towards mental health awareness. Let's get it over the $5 million they raised last year. For Jay Farrar, I'm Dave Kaufman. Thanks for listening tonight. We had a good time on The Kaufman Show. Too much to drink, walk home, cross the bridge When the marquee shut down There's a reason that I love this town Nobody cares how much money You've got enough to get in a cab There'll be drinks on the house If your house burns down There's a reason that I love this town I saw your band in the early days. We all understand why you moved away. We'll hold a grudge anyway. I shot the shit. Tim, if he needs a tune, then I'll write one for him. We like the same books and we like the same sounds. There's a reason that I love this town. I played a show in Kelowna last year. Said, pick it up, Joel. We're dying in here. Picture one hand clapping, then picture half that sound. There's a reason that I Down in our suit, some French restaurant. I saw Riviere de Lune last night at the tour. We burnt the place to the ground. There's a reason that I love this town. There's a reason that I love this town. There's a reason that I love this town. Listening to the Kaufman Show on TSN 690. For Jay Ferrar, I'm Dave Kaufman, and we'll see you next Monday night. I don't know. Well, that sound like.